this is Michael Moore, and this is Rumble. This is going to be a difficult podcast for me to record. It's been a difficult couple of days. It began at 1.17 p.m. on Monday when CNN.com published a story saying that there were people in the Elizabeth Warren campaign knew about a meeting and a conversation that Elizabeth had had with Bernie Sanders at the end of 2018. It was a private meeting and nobody was in the room besides Bernie and Elizabeth. And what they told CNN was that Bernie told Elizabeth that he didn't believe a woman could win the presidency in 2020. And they ran with that story without any backup or agreement or denial from the Warren campaign, uh, nothing from the Sanders campaign. It was shocking. It was a shocking thing to read. Shocking because for me, I know both of these people. Uh, Elizabeth has, I, f- I filmed her for two of my movies. I filmed her for Sicko and for Capitalism, A Love Story. I have known her or known of her since 2004, 2005. I think we first filmed her in 2006 at Harvard and um, and have looked to her, especially during the, the first decade, as kind of a intellectual, spiritual guru of all the things that are wrong with capitalism and income inequality in this country. Capitalism, a love story came out in 2009 and we put out the this idea out there about the 1% and the 99%. And, um, you know, she was a big, she was a big thinker about that stuff. And, um, two years later, Occupy Wall Street happened and she and her, um, scenes in that, in my movie became a, a piece of that movement. So I've, you know, held her in this very high esteem and Bernie, I've known since 1989, 1990, uh, when I first went and spoke at a campaign rally for his, the first time he got elected to Congress in 1990 and, um, went to Burlington, Vermont. He couldn't really, he was trying to get, I think, you know, different, you know, people that, that, you know, the public might know a little bit. I, this is the first year of my very first film, Roger and me. So, I mean, I, I, People knew me, but they didn't really know me. And uh, I got there to the rally, and he didn't have anybody else from the music or movies or whatever. He had two guys from Vermont who um, had invented an ice cream. Um, and then he had me from Michigan who uh, ate ice cream. So that that was basically it, Ben and Jerry and me, uh, out there rallying for Bernie to get him elected to Congress. And we did. And he succeeded. So I, I have known him, and he's been in my movies and on my TV show. I've known him um, since that long ago, and I've known Elizabeth since at least, I don't know, 2005, 2006. So, and I love both of them, and I care deeply about uh, both of them. And I am so appreciative of the sacrifices that they have made to help make this country a better place. I've always endorsed Bernie. I've always been with him. And of course, when he asked me to do that again uh, this year, as I did in uh, 2016, I I did it this past fall 
AOC and myself had a big rally under the Queensboro Bridge in New York City. And, jeez, uh, we had like, I don't know, 25, 30,000 people show up. It was amazing uh, for both of us to, you know, publicly endorse Bernie for president. I made it very clear that I was a fan and supporter of Elizabeth Warren's. And so, to me, it didn't seem like it, it was any kind of real contest between them. It was just that I've known Bernie longer and have endorsed him longer and and believe more than ever that we need him uh, in the White House. And maybe feeling, too, that, you know, as I'm just getting older, that it just seems like, man, when, if not now, when? It's, it's, we need these things now, no more half measures. And having a real sense, you know, being in Michigan, being in the Midwest, where he's actually very popular, he won the Michigan primary, he beat Hillary, he won the Wisconsin primary, he won the Minnesota primary, he won the Montana primary. <laughs> it was like, uh, you know, he won 22 primaries and caucuses. It was just a, and running as a democratic socialist, which, you know, we're going to, we'll do a podcast on what that means because it's it, it, when he gets the nomination, if he gets the nomination that, that will be used, I'm certain as a Trump trying to club him to death with it, but uh, we'll show you how we'll take that club out of Trump's hand um, uh, when the time comes. But that's how I feel about Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And I was on Monday afternoon, paralyzed, paralyzed that her staffers would say such a thing that any of us who've known Bernie forever know automatically, we don't even have to hear him denying it, that there's no way he would say this because there's no way he thinks that. Um, he has been a supporter of women running. I mean, I can, I'll, I'll put up on the, on the podcast page here, the YouTube of Bernie from 1988 saying a woman, you know, can and should be president of the United States. Um, there's a thing from 1987 with him encouraging women to run for office and especially teenage girls start thinking now when you turn 18, you can run for office. I mean, he's just been a huge supporter of this. Anyway, he's such a supporter of, of wanting a woman president that, um, when it was getting close to the 2016, you know, like in 2015, trying to decide who are we going to all run? to beat whoever the Republican nominee is going to be. And Bernie thought, you know, who should run is Elizabeth Warren. And he went to her um, in 2015 to try to talk her into running for president. He said, you could do this. I think, you know, if we need you now. She thought about it and she decided, you know, she only had one, one term in the U.S. Senate, but so did Obama, right? I don't even think he had a full term. But she thought it best to sit it out. She didn't want to, especially as, as it was looking more and more like it was going to be Trump. But even if you think about it, even back then, nobody really knew it was going to be Trump. I mean, okay, yes, I did say a few things, but but she decided to stay on the bench, which is fine. That's her, that's her right, and she wanted a little more experience in the Senate, whatever. But in deciding not to run, Bernie then decided, well, if, if Elizabeth is not going to run, then I'm going to run. And so... Um, in the spring of 2015, late spring, he walked outside the U.S. Capitol building to a microphone, a few reporters, and made his announcement that he was running for president. Uh, then went back inside to his office to finish his corned beef sandwich. So that's the Bernie I know. That's the Bernie. I remember talking to him after, after Trump's victory in uh, 2016, 
and thinking about how, you know, how cool it was that a woman had beaten him, that Hillary Clinton had three million more votes, and he could never, ever be able to claim that the majority of Americans wanted him as president. They wanted her. She won. She won what we call the popular vote. If you're listening from another country, I will not waste your time any longer trying to explain to you how in a democracy where the person who gets the most votes doesn't win the election. I, I, I've, I've spoken enough about it. I'll speak more to it later some other day. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. We elected our first woman president, except she couldn't take office because of a clause in our Constitution. And I remember saying to him, because <clears throat> a lot of people were starting to say then, you know, you know, it's, you know, maybe we, we shouldn't have run a woman or, you know, it's because she was a woman. All the Trump hate, you know, all the haters that support Trump hate women and, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but in spite of all that, she did win. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of hate out there. There's a lot of misogyny, but she won. So I said to Bernie, you know, it'd be really cool in 2020. Have a ticket with two women running on the same ticket president and vice president like go counterintuitive here don't go the way a lot of these pundits are saying you know well you know the country just wasn't ready for a woman let's run two women on the same ticket i re- i'm not kidding i really think that would work i thought then i thought afterwards i thought yes because it would be so inspiring imagine two kick-ass women on the ticket that's the bernie sanders i know and the fact when this happened on monday and people immediately started writing me press was asking me what was my what was my reaction to this i didn't want to say anything i wanted it to go away i wanted to go away because we have only one job right now and that's to defeat donald trump remove him from the white house and then let's fix the system that gave us donald trump so that we never get another donald trump again that's what we should be spending our time doing the fact that we are even talking about this on this podcast is taking up time away from what we need to be doing. But after 48, almost 48 hours of this, and after watching the debate last night, I just felt like a knife in the heart, my heart. I, I thought by the, by the end of Monday afternoon, I, after this malicious lie was told about Bernie, I thought, okay, well, Elizabeth, I, you know, knowing what I know of her, I mean, we're not close personal friends or anything. I'm just saying that, the Elizabeth Warren I know by the end of this evening is going to issue a statement saying, I'm sorry about this report. I don't know who did this on my staff, but th- that's just not anything near what Bernie said. It's not true. He, of course, does not believe that a woman can't win the presidency of the United States. And she did. She made her statement within a couple of hours that on Monday night. And the statement was essentially confirming the lie continuing the lie that that and maybe i should stop right here and say when i say the lie i'm saying obviously i wasn't in the room there's only two people in the room only two know the truth so one of them is lying right now and one of them is not unless there was some misunderstanding i mean a lot of people have spoken about how maybe bernie was talking about whoever if whoever's running against trump in 2020 if it's a woman his level of hate and misogyny is going to be so intense that it'll be a rough road to hoe. Uh, doesn't mean that it that it can't happen, obviously. I mean, how many people, including yourself, if, if I could turn the clock back to 2006, how many of you said, oh, I love Barack Obama, but I mean, come on, this is the United States of America. There's no way he's going to win. 
Because what you were saying was there's no way a black man can win in this country. And why were you saying that? Well, you were saying it because you know that the level of racism in this country is still pretty high. Pretty disgusting. Pretty sad. And a man, not only black, but with the name Barack Hussein Obama. Give me a fucking break. Right? You know how many of you are listening to this right now. That's what you thought. That's what you said. And then you realized at some point, oh, you know what? I'm wrong. I think he can win. I'm going to go to work for him. I'm going to get out the vote. I'm going to vote. So I know it's not unusual then if some people still think that a woman can't get elected. I don't know why you would think that now. And as Bernie said at the debate last night, he just asked the audience, who, who here, who believes that a woman can't get elected president of the United States? A woman can't win. Nobody in the audience raised their hand, you know, <laughs> like nobody. I didn't hear anybody shout out. I do. <laughs> I mean, I don't <laughs> No, that didn't happen because nobody. And I mean, nobody, including, I think, conservatives. And if you're a Republican listening to this, you know, in your heart of hearts, a woman can win. We have you have Republican senators who are women. This is a ridiculous conversation to be having in the year 2020. And that's why this this charge, and I think the way Elizabeth said it in her statement, is that that she and Bernie were talking about the 2020 election and the the chances what, what chances would a, a woman have? And uh, quoting her, uh, she said. Uh, I think a, a woman uh, could win uh, the presidency. And then the next sentence in her statement was, he disagreed. That was it. She didn't quote him. She didn't quote him saying a woman couldn't win. It's just he disagreed. And then the rest of the statement was, well, I don't want to talk anymore about this. It was a private meeting, and I'm not going to reveal it anymore. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was just so disingenuous. I mean, your 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 bullshit detector starts going off. And... With her, I don't have a place for her on my bullshit detector because to me, the the old Elizabeth Warren that I knew was not a bullshitter. She's a truth teller. What is going on here? I'm thinking Monday night. And I just, I got so sad. I thought, oh my God, are we going to mark this date? Monday, January 13th, 2020 is the day that that Donald J. Trump actually won re-election because the Democrats couldn't keep it together because we had to fight each other, that we had to not just fight. This isn't a policy uh, debate. This is a slanderous personal attack. It's a bomb. It's a grenade being thrown at your friend. You know, it's so important to get rid of Trump and to win this election. I was thinking, I was trying to put myself in the, if I was a candidate and one of my friends was also a candidate and that friend said something like to me one night, you know, I don't know, just pick something strange that the, that, that he or she would say, maybe, maybe somebody would say, you know, I don't think any Arab American uh, could win the presidency. And I would think, Oh, don't say that. We had an Arab American Senator from the state of Michigan, U S Senator Spencer Abraham. That's not true. It's just not true. But if my friend said this, and now my friend is also running for president and we're competing against each other for the presidency, am I going to just kind of tell everybody someday a year or so after it's said that, well, my friend here told me that no Arab American could win, you know, because, you know, people think they're, you know, they're all terrorists. (laughs) 
even if my friend said that, I wouldn't share that. I would maybe double down on my efforts to defeat him because <laughs> I realize, well, we're different people here now. I get that. But but for me to to try just three weeks before the Iowa caucus blow up not just his campaign, but but the Democratic process, the Democratic campaign itself, and throw it into such chaos and disarray, this only helps Trump. This only helps Trump. So I don't know. I don't think I would. I think I would in my mind. I'd say, well, the moral thing to do here is defeat is to defeat this motherfucker because <laughs> he does, he's that's wrong thinking to say something like that. But I would put the what's best for the country first ahead of my own personal desire. If I thought I could, you know, maybe the, the Arab American thing isn't going to work in this analogy because. Uh, that is not going to sting and hurt as hard as something like this is going to hurt. You know, if I were to talk to Elizabeth now, I'd say, what were, what, what really were you thinking? Cause now I, you know, it's clear that your staff just weren't acting on their own. This was a, this was kind of planned out. It seems what were you, were you wanting to put that out there about Bernie? Cause you thought that was going to help defeat Trump because you know, all of us, Everything we do between now and November 3rd is about how do we remove Trump? It's not about what we like or what we, what'll make me feel good. It's not even about winning. If you did this to destroy Bernie because you thought that would help you win because you were going down in the polls, things weren't looking as good. Number of mistakes have been made. And so here's the, here's the Hail Mary pass where you're going to throw this bomb into his campaign and if you're going down he's going to go down with you and just blow up the whole thing what why why are you doing this so you can win well i have news for you and for anybody else running on the democratic side uh this isn't about you winning this isn't about you gaining this office this is about us this is about removing trump this is about fixing this country that he has been on a, on a wrecking tour of trying to destroy us and destroy this democracy. That's all we care about. I don't give a rat's ass of what you and him or he or she or anybody said at some dinner that you, the two of you were having with each other. But now this, now we, now we have to deal with this. And if this brings this whole thing down to where neither Bernie nor Elizabeth are able to go to the convention with enough delegates, and if we are stuck with another middle of the road, centrist, mealy mouth, Republican light Democrat on the ballot. If you want to run the whole thing over again, the way we've been doing this now for years, the chance of losing again is pretty damn good. Trump must be loving this. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why Elizabeth did this. I don't, um, if it was that bad and that awful, and that is an awful thing. Um, if Bernie actually believed that and said that, why'd you wait a year, Elizabeth? Why'd you wait over a year to tell us something important that we needed to know about one of the candidates? You waited to the moment where it appeared that you were losing. And it's just, it's just a couple, three weeks before the Iowa caucus. Wow. I don't get it. I'm so sad. I'm really sad. I'm not angry about this. I'm, I'm really, I'm just 
really sad. Um, these are two people, as I said, that I know and love, and and one of them decided to take the pin out of a hand grenade and throw it at this other good person. And then after sleeping on it for a night, I start to think about how I've turned my head the other way when I hear things or see things. We all do this with people, with friends, with family members. You know, you see something, you hear something, you something isn't quite right, and then you go, oh, I'm not going to think about that. I don't want to think about what, what she just said. I don't want to think about what he just did. You know how we do this? We, do, we want to like stick our heads in the sand really quick because life is hard enough. I don't need to be confronted with this, this, or that. And so this is what I've done with Elizabeth over the last, I think, couple of years. It just kind of hit me going back on the different things that I've heard her say or, or do. And I'm like, and at the time I go, oh, why'd you say that? Why'd you do that? That doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like you. What campaign consultants have you hired that are in your head? They're in your ear. They're telling you, say this, do that. You're not being yourself. I see you on TV. I should, I should put up some, some, some of my old footage of you in the first decade of this century. You don't look like the same person. You don't sound like the same person. You, you, this old footage of you, you're authentic. You're the real deal. That's why I wanted you in my movies. I wanted the rest of the country to know about nobody, nobody other than people went to Harvard or if they read your papers or whatever, nobody knew who you were. And I think I'm pretty sure I was the first person to, to take you to a nationwide audience through my movies. I mean, there's you and I back in, you know, where it's, what is it? 2006 or whatever, talking about what we now call Medicare for all, but, but a real plan to where we would have with the Canadians and the French and the Swedes and the British and the Irish and everybody else has. Oh, man. It was exhilarating having this footage of you, having you say the things that you said. That's not the Elizabeth I've been looking at in the last year or so. So many times you've said things that I know weren't true, and I knew it. I think other people knew it too, and they, nobody wanted to say, we didn't want to say anything because you're, you're too important, you're too good. We need you. We need you. And so I would just ignore what you said or did and just, you know, hey, we're all human. We make mistakes. I make mistakes. I say things and I think, oh, later I go, why did I say that? Oh, no, did I, uh, was that right? No, I, I think I got to, I think I was off by a digit there. I got to get that right. We all do that. She started saying things like her, her presidential campaign was 100% grassroots funded, which really isn't or wasn't true because she, first of all, she carried over, you know, millions of dollars that her Senate campaign had raised and not spent. And a lot of that campaign money came from wealthy donors. In fact, at the last debate, uh, when she was criticizing uh, Mayor Pete there for having his, uh, you know, wine cave, high-end wine, wine cave fundraisers, but she'd had her, her wine sipping fundraisers too at one point back in the day when she was running for Senate. And it was like, well, that's, don't be hypocritical here. You're accusing him of doing what, you know, you've done. Nathan uh, Robinson, who's the uh, editor and publisher of uh, Current Affairs, um, has written a very good piece outlining these d various things that she's said and done during the campaign. And it's, it's been painful for those of us who love her and not, we're not wanting to say anything, but it's like, how long do you go without saying anything? You let it go so long when you 
and we don't point out her embellishments over the last year. And then something like this happens where it doesn't pass the sniff test. You know, Bernie didn't say that. You just in your gut know it. And you don't know why it got said here, but it got said. And now, I mean, she said it and went to the press with it a year and some a year and a month later after it allegedly happened. And you're thinking, yeah, this is where, remember back, you know, a number of months ago where um, she said her dad was, was a janitor. That's the word she used. And her brother, one of her brothers got upset, called the press up and said, no, she's, she's not telling the truth. My, our dad was not a janitor. Um, he did maintenance work. There was a time when he was laid off between jobs. And so he did maintenance work at an apartment house, apartment complex. Um, he did things like, you know, clean, keep the pool clean and filtered. He um, mowed the lawn, um, did maintenance work. And he was a maintenance man. And in fact, when she ran for Senate, she said that her dad had, for some time had been a maintenance man. That was the word she used. And in her autobiography, she called him a maintenance man. But suddenly in the presidential campaign, she starts referring to him as a janitor, which I know that seems like splitting a hair. But um, when your siblings are like, hey, I mean, we love our dad here. And, there, and of course, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being a janitor. Um, but mm, he wasn't a janitor. And one of them just had had it and and went to the press with it. And you're thinking, oh, geez. Okay, well, I can understand. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm constantly making excuses for myself when I hear these things with her. And I'm thinking, okay, no, yeah, but, well, come on. Who cares? Janitor, maintenance man. Knock it off. We need her. She's good people. Um, you know, then it comes out that, that uh, she'd been a Republican for... Um, most of her life, more than more than half of her life, she'd been a Republican up to the age of, I think, 47 or whatever. And it came out and it was like, what? How come? I, I don't know this. She voted for Nixon. She voted for Reagan. She voted for the first Bush. She she didn't she didn't switch from being a conservative Republican until four years before the beginning of the 2000s here before this century. 19, I think 1996, she, she switched. Now, th there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, thank you for switching, by the way. We want to have our hands extended to anybody that wants to. But, and, and there's no reason actually to hide that. You might actually get more votes telling people that, you know, hey, I used to be like you. I used to vote for Republicans. There's no need to hide this sort of thing. It's like with all these other things with her. There's no need to really embellish the truth. There, you can actually state the truth. But then the one, the one that we don't even want to bring up because of Trump's racism, when it was discovered that she had listed her race on numerous government forms and, and college forms documents, uh, she listed her race as American Indian. And of course that, you know, that got vetted and it found out that, you know, it wasn't true. Um, she may have had some, you know, Indian ancestor somewhere along the way. But um, once Trump got a hold of it, you know what he did with it. Started calling her a racist name, and um, and we were all appalled by it. And and uh, you know what? If somebody has some Indian, and then then they're then they're Indian. You know, so we don't care. In fact, we celebrate it, we embrace it. And um, and then she did that crazy thing with the ancestry, uh, you know, the DNA test, and you know, discovered that she was somewhere between one sixty. 
162, 160, how do you say that? 162nd American Indian between that and one 1,024th American Indian. Wow. And then when this happened yesterday, it just, this came back in my head and I'm thinking, yeah. And I went and I found that online, the, the card that she had filled out. Uh, one of the, one of the times that when she applied to go to college or to get a grant or, uh, for the bar and where it says race on the line where it says race. And it always says, you know, you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to, but it helps us with our facts and our information. And so under, it doesn't give a bunch of options that you can check. It just says race. And in her handwriting, she wrote American Indian, not white slash American Indian, American Indian. And then it hit me yesterday and I thought, oh, don't, I, don't wanna, why do I, I don't wanna think about this. But the truth is white people who are listening to this, if we are to claim that we are also people of color when we're not, the purpose of that is to take a grant away from somebody who is of color, to take a seat at a university, to be granted the seat, you, a white person, instead of somebody of color who was, in my eyes, deserving of it because we're trying to rectify a history of bigotry and racism in this country and why she would do that. I mean, look, she comes out of the sixties. If you're from the sixties or seventies, you know, there was a lot of, lot of attention paid to American Indians that had never been paid to them before. I remember one of my favorite books still is of all time, bury my heart at wounded knee. Um, and if you could claim or find that you had any Indian ancestors, that was like the coolest thing. I remember, I remember that. I have friends that, you know, were like, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I'm one quarter Native American. And it'd be like, cool. It was a cool thing. It was something you wanted to be proud of, and, you know, in part because you know what a shitty deal the Indians had been given, the genocide that they had to experience. But now when I think about embellishing the truth like this, not even putting the word white on that line, white slash American Indian. Oh, it's killing me to have to even talk about this. Fuck you, Trump. Fuck you if you're listening here, fucking racist, calling her Pocahontas. But none of this ever had to have been discussed if she hadn't done this a number of times. Harvard asked her if it was okay for them when she uh, graduated because she had put that on her form that she was American Indian. Could they uh, claim her as their first woman of color graduate and she said yes you know how much of this do you have to listen to before you say i can't turn my head on this anymore she was confronted by somebody at a town hall meeting um about you know her kids going to private schools and and she insisted that her children quote went to public schools and then it turns out that one of them actually did go to a private school there's nothing wrong first of all by saying your kids went to a private school it's okay. I went to a Catholic school. The Obama girls went to a private school. You don't think any less of them. You know, I hope nobody thinks any less of me. I went to a Catholic school. There's nothing wrong with that. And if one of your kids went to a public school, went to a pri one went to a private school, just say that. You know, most of us, especially if we're from the working class, we kind of like it when we hear that somebody does a little bit better, that there may be a way out of, of what, you know, the hand that we were dealt in the working class. Hey, did you hear so-and-so? 
you know, got into into Princeton? No. When we would hear that back in, in, in Flint, somebody got into like an Ivy League school, nobody was like, oh, what the hell with them? <laughs> no, the opposite. We're like, whoa, we can actually grow up in Michigan and go to Yale? Wow. It's a good thing. But she saw it as something that she had to be shameful of and hide it and then not tell the entire truth about it. She, a couple months ago, she told that story about, she said that she was um, the first nursing mother to take the New Jersey bar. So she took the bar, you know, while she was a, um, a mom and, and, and had a baby and was nursing. But then like a day later, she was asked for, you know, is there any way you could prove this or could we vet this? Do you have a picture, uh, something? And she's like then backed away and said, well, I, I wasn't really, I, I don't know if I was the first or whatever. I was just, I'm going to quote this here. She said, I was just making a point about the very serious challenges uh, that I faced. Hmm. You know, we we get it. If you, you've got a baby and going to law school and trying to take the bar, we've all seen the RBG movie. I mean, it's... That's enough. That's we that we admire that. Good on you. You don't have to like. It doesn't have to be something like I was the first mother ever to take the bar while I was nursing. And then there's, I mean, there's just all the silly stuff. I just, you know, I just had to make a little list of it in my head in the last 24 hours because I'm thinking, well, why did I just let this embellishment business go on and on and on? And now it's come to bite my other friend. Whatever got embellished, whatever was said, whatever. You and I know that it wasn't what they've been reporting on the news. Bernie doesn't think a woman can be president. Unbelievable. You know, I mean, I have to go through this. I, I, I read so many lies about myself, mostly in the you know, right, right-wing media and Rush Limbaugh and Fox News and all these people over the years. And I, usually I just get a laugh off it because I just think, Man, but I'm so offended sometimes because the, when they tell a lie about me, it's so unbelievable that um, I think I'm insulted because I think I deserve, if you're going to lie about me, you know, put at least a kernel or two of truth in there. <laughs> tell a better lie. Tell one that's, you know, at least a, maybe a little believable. It's like if I were to say to you right now, I'm, I'm sitting here in my podcast room and, uh, oh my God, I just looked out the window and... <gasps> There's Martians. I know this isn't uh, the you know Orson Welles invasion radio show from the 30s, right? You all know there's no Martians. You, you knew as soon as I said it, you know, I'm just joking. And there's no way I could try to even seriously convince you there's Martians out on the windowsill here right now. But so you got to put a you got to put a kernel or, or two of truth in there. And but when you make up so so <laughs> do you remember the one where she um, they found out there was, they, they, I think it was a Native American group. They wanted to do a cookbook of Native American recipes. And so because they had heard that she claimed, you know, that she was Native American, um, they asked her for some, you know, recipes that may have been passed down uh, through the family. And she contributed a couple of dishes, a couple of recipes to the, uh, from her Cherokee family. And they're in this, in this book. Except, you know, I don't know, what did, what was she thinking? Did, did, did she know that some books get reviewed in the New York Times? And so somebody at the, uh, at the Times uh, thought, yeah, I've read this before. And it turned out her recipes were plagiarized. They were copied word for word 
from recipes that had appeared in the New York Times. Do you remember this? this was, I don't know when this was, uh, when this came out a year or so ago. And I'm thinking, oh. But, you know, again, whenever I've heard this about her, I just go, oh, you know, that crazy Elizabeth, or, well, let's, you know, you don't need to do that, you know. <laughs> But she wanted to contribute to the Cherokee, you know, cookbook. And again, you go, eh, that's kind of cool. There should be a Cherokee cookbook. But then it got it got worse. It got worse in recent months because the things that she stood for, like Medicare for All, she started to back away from. She started to change how she felt. She couldn't really explain anymore why she was for Medicare for All. And it got so confusing in the debates. And she couldn't say how it was going to be paid for. And she had one plan and another plan. And and it was really the thing, I think, that undid her support amongst the public. Because then her poll numbers started going down, down, down. When she was so on top. But people realized that there wasn't really, um, there wasn't any really there there. And that the things that she said that she believed in so strongly... She was starting now to, to back away from campaign advisors whispering in her ear. Don't say that. Say that. Don't say that. Say that. That's got to be a maddening experience for any candidate. I'm sorry it happened to her. I'm sorry. But once you start doing that over and over and over again, once you stop being honest all the time and you start to twist it and turn it and and embellish it and tell a better story with it. It's kind of like, oh. you know what I, what I wanted to do a couple months ago. I wanted to try to get oddly enough, her and Bernie in a room together alone and have a conversation with them about that. The DNC, you know, has rigged the convention again. Uh, they say they got rid of the superdelegates, but they didn't. The superdelegates are not going to be able to vote on the very first ballot. But if there's not a majority of ballots for a candidate, if a candidate doesn't have 51% uh, on the second ballot, the superdelegates who are not elected by anybody, who are all the old party hacks, they're going to get to vote and they're going to pick our candidate for us again, somebody who was not necessarily elected by the people during the primary system. That's how it's going to happen. And so I wanted to say to them, look, you two should sit in the room and um, come to an agreement that whoever of the two of you end up with the most delegates at the end of the primary season to go before going to the convention, um, that's our presidential candidate, whichever the one of you it is. And, and the, the number two of you is the vice presidential candidate because you, number two, are going to give your delegates to number one. And combined, that'll be more than 50% of the vote and we'll have it on the first ballot and the superdelegates won't vote and it'll be a true... Uh, you know, the, the people will have spoken in a much truer fashion than what happened back in 2016 and in past conventions, too. That was kind of my dream that we'd have, uh, you know, we'd have a, a woman and a man on the ticket and one would be the presidential candidate and one would be the vice presidential candidate. And they would represent the the majority wing of the Democratic Party. They would represent the majority of American people because Elizabeth and Bernie believe all the things that the majority of Americans now agree. Climate change is real. Minimum wage needs to be doubled. Um, let's stop la locking up uh, uh, black and brown people because of drug possession. Um, you know, go down the whole list. The majority of Americans agree with us. 
They believe women should be paid the same as men. They believe that a, a fertilized egg is not a human being. I mean, just go down the whole list. I'm sorry. That's if you don't like hearing some of these things, that's the world we live in now. That's the majority of Americans and Bernie and Elizabeth would be representative of the majority of Americans and would win this. They would, they would, they would, they would trounce Trump. That's what I was thinking a couple of months ago. And I'm like, God, you guys don't let this happen to where we go to that convention and neither of you have 50% and we lose this on the first ballot. And, and then we end up with the approved candidate from the DNC. I, I guess I won't be getting them into, into a room by themselves uh, anytime in the near future. It's, um, we need to get back talking about what's important. This, this discussion of this needs to die right now. We need to stop playing a guessing game of who, which one of them is telling the truth. You can trust your own sniffer. You can trust your own instincts about this. I think the thing that, the, 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 the other thing I, I feel bad for Bernie about is the way, and I've heard this from many people in the last uh, three years, how they think that he didn't come out and support Hillary when he lost to her that he didn't go out there and do what he could do to get her elected and nothing could be further from the truth. I don't know how this lie got started. It gets repeated constantly. So I want to just give you the facts so that you have them. If you ever hear anybody bring this up that Bernie didn't support Hillary in, in 2016, um, you know, uh, Hillary uh, would not concede to Obama until June of that election year after the primaries were, you know, essentially over. Um, it took Bernie to July, you know, it took him a little, a little bit longer, but he wasn't holding on, not because he was opposed to Hillary. He wanted to be able to, to take his delegates to the convention and get some platforms passed, some policy passed. He also knew that if he just gave in, he had another job to do, which was to get all of his voters to vote for Hillary in the general election. And if he just gave up and gave in right from the, you know, from the end of the primaries without getting anything for it, namely getting a Democratic Party platform that was going to acknowledge certain things that, you know, Democrats oftentimes don't want to acknowledge or deal with. So he wanted to go to the convention strong with it, but he was always going to and did endorse um, Hillary and ask that his delegates then do the same. And um, but then people start saying, they, you know, if. Well, he didn't go out and campaign for her. He didn't go out and campaign for her, which isn't true. And I'm going to give you the facts. And I'll, I'll, I'll post these again on the site here, uh, on the Rumble uh, site, so you can uh, use these with people. So let me just go back. Let me compare what uh, Hillary Clinton did to help Obama when she lost to him in the 2008 primaries. What did she do for him in the, in the general um, election uh, that year? And I have the list and the dates of where she went and campaigned for him. Um, there were um, uh, two instances. I'm not going to talk. I'm not talking about fundraisers. No, I'm talking about like rallies for the pub, you know, public rallies to get the vote out. So there were two times, twice before the general election uh, between the, you know, the end of the primaries and then um, the election in November where she appeared with Barack Obama at a rally to help get him elected twice. Then she went out 10 times on her own uh, between August and uh, November uh, to get people uh, to come out and uh, vote for him. So she made 10 campaign appearances to convince 
especially her voters, to get out there and vote for Barack Obama. Ten rallies. In 2016, this is what Bernie did. He appeared with her three times at joint events um, around the country in the general election. And then on his own, he did 37 other events and rallies for Hillary. Either, you know, solo appearances or he had a band with him or some, you know, somebody else on the stage. But these were Bernie rallies that Hillary wasn't at that he went and did for her. 37 plus the three he did with her. That's 40. She did 10 and two with Barack. She did 12. She did 12 for Barack Obama in 08. And in 2016, when he lost to Hillary, he did 40 for her four times as many as what she did for Barack Obama. And let me just list, let me just tell you, here's some of the cities that Bernie went and held a rally in to get people out to vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, Ann Arbor, Michigan, Lansing, Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Traverse City, Michigan, Madison, Wisconsin, Green Bay, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Kalamazoo, Michigan, Dearborn, Michigan. These names of these states mean anything to you? Yeah. The swing states, the important states to get out the vote. There was Bernie, and these were states that she didn't, she didn't go once to Wisconsin. And Bernie's in Wisconsin a half a dozen times. She didn't go, I think she went once to Michigan. But we begged her to come. We begged the campaign to bring her there. Nope, sorry. But here's Bernie in another half dozen or more cities in Michigan holding rallies to get out the vote for Hillary Clinton. And also other swing states where states that Hillary won, but only by a few thousand votes. Here's Bernie in Duluth, Minnesota. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Keene, New Hampshire. Nashua, New Hampshire. Scranton, Pennsylvania. Bernie for Hillary. Philly, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Bernie for Hillary. On and on. You should look at this list. I'll post it. There it is. And look at this. I mean, in the week before the election, leading up to the election, November 1st, he's in Plymouth, New Hampshire, Hanover, New Hampshire, Portland, Maine. November 2nd, I mean, these are he's doing like three, four cities a day. November 2nd, he's in Kalamazoo, Michigan, Traverse City, Michigan, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Youngstown, Ohio. On the 3rd, on the November 4th, he's in Iowa City, Iowa, Cedar Falls, Iowa, Omaha, Nebraska. On the 5th, he's in Ames, Iowa. Iowa's going to be very close that year. I mean... Some of these, geez, one of these days here, he's doing, one, two, he did four cities for Hillary. And yet, how many times have you heard people say he didn't go out and do anything for her? I'm going to say the number again. In 2008, when she lost to Barack Obama in the primaries during the general election, Hillary Clinton did 12 rallies for Barack Obama. In 2016, when Bernie lost to Hillary in the primaries, he went out during the general election before November and did 40 rallies. For Hillary Clinton, 40 compared to her 12. And as it turned out, as the statistics showed, that that there were more Hillary voters that ended up voting for McCain in 08 than, than, that, than there were Bernie voters who voted for Trump. In other words, there were more Bernie voters that had voted for Bernie in the primaries than ended up voting for Hillary in the general 
that wasn't the case in the crossover vote in 2008 with people who voted for Hillary in the primaries by the millions came out and voted for John McCain in the general election. I'm just stating facts. That's the truth. And here's the thing. Bernie did all of that for Hillary to come out, support her, travel the country for her. And he did this after the Podesta letters came out. Do you remember the, the WikiLeaks hacked into and released all those letters from within the Clinton campaign, uh, the Podesta, John Podesta emails? Um, where in these emails, when they're talking back and forth about Bernie during the primaries, they refer to him as doofus. Um, they discussed schemes where you would stick the knife in Bernie. Where would you stick the knife in Bernie? In the emails, we learned that Donna Brazil, part of the DNC, gave um, Hillary the debate questions in the Flint debate between her and Bernie the mothers of the poisoned children that lined up at the microphone to ask the candidates questions. Bernie didn't know what the questions would be, but Hillary knew uh, because the DNC and CNN had um, given her these um, questions in advance. And when the mothers in Flint, a week, it was about a month later when it was discovered that, that Hillary was, had these questions and that these women were just being used as tools, as props, is what they, the word they used, props at the debate. When they learned this, I was there. People were not happy. The, the turnout in Flint was low. Uh, approximately 8,000 African-Americans who had voted for Obama in the previous election stayed home, did not vote. I know you're saying, oh, well, they shouldn't have done that. They just screwed themselves. Well, go live in Flint for a while. Go live with your poison kids. Um, at some point, you say to yourself, enough is enough. I can't take this anymore. I'm checking out. I'm not participating in the system. And Bernie, Bernie doesn't operate on any kind of anger about this. He doesn't have any vengeance in him. He doesn't say, wow, they screwed me like that. They fixed the debate. They fixed this thing. They did. They planned all these things to try and um, they went after his his Jewishness. Was he really Jewish? Remember that? All this stuff to try and smear him. And, and, and after all that, and he loses, um, he does 40 cities around the country for her. Four times as many as she did for Obama. It was, I mean, it's a, it was an amazing act of kindness, forgiveness, redemption. I remember there, were, there was this, I'm going to pull this out. There was this article in The New Yorker written by uh, Amy Davidson Sorkin just before the um, the election, the week before the election in, in uh, 2016 uh, between Hillary and Trump. And um, she's on the campaign trail and she goes to one of these events um, where he's doing a, a rally for Hillary. And she quotes him. I'm going to read, this is Bernie talking um, um, to one of these big rallies. And... Uh, I think Pharrell was on the stage with him and um, played a few songs, uh, introduced Bernie. And um, so Bernie goes up to the microphone and he says, I'm not going to do his voice, but you just roll it in your head. Okay. Bernie says, there are many, many differences between Secretary Clinton and Mr. Trump, Sanders told the crowd. But there is one that is very, very profound. Are you ready for a very radical thought right now? 
he's telling this to the crowd, you know, and they're all like, yeah, I don't, I don't want anyone to faint. I, I think we have some paramedics here. And as he said the words paramedics here, um, it turns out that was an excellent phrase for demonstrating his fine Brooklyn accent. And then back to Bernie saying, but I, I do want to make this announcement. Are you, are you ready for it? The crowd indicated that it was. All right, Madam Secretary, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't want him to speak for you. She's <laughs> Hillary is probably like, oh my God, what is he going to say? I don't want him to speak for you, Secretary Clinton. But ladies and gentlemen, Secretary Clinton believes in science. Of course, the crowd goes wild. Um, and then <laughs> when the cheering had abated, Sanders continued, and he went on to talk about the wonderful things that she would do as president and how we would get back into believing in science and and um, we would have a smart, smart president in President Hillary Clinton. Oh, every, every, there was such hope, wasn't there? There was such a such a high and and myself and all of us who had voted for Bernie, who had supported Bernie, we went to the polls that day. We didn't hold our nose. We were like right in there. And we knew that night at 8 p.m. it would be announced that we were going to have our first female president and that we had lived to see it in our day. When my grandmother was born, women couldn't vote. When my mom was born, it was just a year after they were allowed to vote. That's how long. We would not allow women to have a say. And still to this day, even though they're the majority gender, only 25% of the seats in Congress are women. No, we all we all were hoping. I sadly was hoping that I had, my prediction would be wrong, that Trump would not win, even though I feared the worst. And, um, and he did. So here we are now. Here we are now. We are in a dark and dangerous time right now. We still don't know what's going to happen with Iran. That man has changed his story, Trump, so many times. And now it's clear there was no imminent threat that they planned this assassination seven months ago. There is nothing more important than removing Trump from the White House. That is our job. It's really the Senate's job in the coming two weeks. I would like to see them do their job. But if that doesn't happen, then we will do the job on November 3rd. And what we don't have any time for right now is the shenanigans of the last couple of days. The, the, the debate last night, Bernie, again, stating very clearly that this was a lie. And when he said that, it wasn't disputed by Elizabeth Warren. She just said, oh, I've said what I've had to say about it, and that's, that's it. Well, that's not what you say. If, if he really said that and if he believed that, you go after him. You go after him. Because we're not going to tolerate that kind of thinking in this country anymore. A woman can't be fill in the blank. A woman can be anything, anything and everything. There's no compromise on that position. <laughs> I was thinking last night as I fell asleep. I don't know why this story, this moment popped in my head back. I don't know, geez, how many years ago now it would be um, 20, 25 or more years ago was on a plane with uh, my daughter and um you know how you're getting you know you're kind of getting settled in in your seat before you take off and the pilot comes on and um it's a woman's voice it was the very first time i'd heard a woman's voice 
over the loudspeaker system in the plane. The woman was a pilot. And and she said, so um, have a good flight here. Uh, myself and my, my co-pilot, Amy, somebody. And I'm like, what? The pilot and the co-pilot are both women? And this is where I'm like Delta Airlines or American or United. I don't know whoever the first was that let this happen. But it was like, oh, my God. And my daughter was like, whoa. And I, I, when the plane landed, we were leaving the plane. I just, I asked the flight attendants. We got close to the door of the cockpit. Um, and of course, this is all, you know, pre nine eleven. I said, um, um, would there any be any way I could introduce my daughter to the pilots? Uh, and she said, oh yeah, yeah, no, that'd be great. And so the door was already open, and we just popped our head in there and said, hi, just I want to introduce you to my daughter here, and um, you know, this is such a great. I know this sounds silly, you know, I got tears in my eyes, you know, just like uh, we just got flown to Detroit by two women. This has never happened. And it was so cool. I was so happy. I was so happy for my daughter to see this. I take no credit for the fact that she went on to become a women's history major in college. I'm just, okay, that's all I'm going to say. No, no, seriously, I do. I have no credit in any of this. I just, I was just glad to be alive. I was glad to be living in a country where women can and should be able to do anything and everything. And it was just one of those little moments, you know, that just happens in life. And you just think, you know, it's going to be a better world. Things are going to get better. Just hang on, hang on to that hope. And all I have felt for the last 48 hours is that this action that was taken on Monday afternoon, um, could be the end of the election for us. I don't mean for Bernie. I mean us, all of us, those of us wanting to remove Trump. If we don't get the right candidate in there, if we don't get the right person to lead the movement, and it's going to have to be a movement, because remember, beating Trump, as I've said, my mantra this year, it's not enough to beat Trump. Hillary beat Trump. We have to crush Trump. We have to have so many millions out at the polls that there's no way anybody can disrupt what needs to happen on November 3rd. And when this, when this was given to the press on Monday, why? So somebody could win. That's not why we're doing this. I'm not doing it. So Bernie can win. You know, if you haven't listened to him, Bernie is not really who's, I mean, it's yes, it'll be his name on the ballot, but we're not voting for, Bernie, we're voting for us. We're voting for this country. We're voting, we're voting for the movement of tens of millions of Americans who are sick and tired of not making sure that every person in this country can see a doctor when they get sick and not ever have to worry about anything other than getting help and getting well. Where if you want to go to college, you're not in a debtor's prison for the next 30 years. Where if your skin color isn't white, You're not being pulled over and having to worry that your life could end in this very next moment. That's what we're fighting for. In my case, that's why I support Bernie. But I know that when I vote, I'm voting for what I just described to you. I'm voting for this better country. And that's not just some cliche. Bernie is the first, I mean, this guy, if you knew him, I know he looks like sometimes he's like one of those, the two Muppets in the, you know, Statler and Waldorf up in the balcony, you know, you know, he's like, but I'm telling you, 
is this I've never seen a person with uh, less ego and so selfless, so selfless to the point that in 2015, he didn't want to even run. He wanted to convince Elizabeth to run because he thought that would be best for the country. And this is what he has to go through this week. This is the payback. Mm. Okay. Well, I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of things and a lot of behavior from various people in my personal life, in our political life. And I'm sure like you, we never cease to be amazed at what people will do. And I got, I got my world rocked a little bit this week by that. Elizabeth, I don't know. If you're listening to this, I don't know how you can make it right. I know you have a conscience. I know somehow you've tried to rationalize this. Maybe you weren't given a choice. Maybe somebody was interfering with your campaign by putting out that that uh, anonymous tip. And they said it was staff members and you had, what are you going to do then? issue a release saying no my staff lies I'm not in control of my own staff who's going to vote for you for president then when you can't even control your own people you can't even lead your own office that you're running for your campaign office I know the situation you were in I can see it I can step back from it and I can see it but I got to know there's a profiles and courage moment here somewhere there's something that you can do that, that historians will write about years from now that a woman of courage who saw herself as a human being and as human beings we make mistakes we make misstatements we misinterpret we say things and do things that we regret later we find ourselves in difficult positions we have to think quickly and then we thought too quickly and we didn't think it out right i don't know what it is in some ways i think you're a better person than me and so i think i look to you and i think you can think of the way you can think of the way to fix this I will continue to love you and admire you and respect you I am glad you're in my movies I'm sorry it came to this I'm sad for the country Trump gloating I'm sure loving every minute of this let's all just not spend another second not another second on this let's get back to the issues at hand let's talk about the important things we need to talk about let's let's get in there and vote everybody vote don't give up. Don't despair when things like this happen. You think, what's the point? They're all politicians. Don't go there. Don't go there. People make mistakes. It's just all that this was. And you can choose to believe whoever you want to believe. It doesn't really matter. What matters? What matters? Trump, gone. November 3rd, 2020. That's what matters. And everybody who's running and everybody who's covering this, let's get back to the job that's in front of us. I won't settle for anything else than that. I thank you for listening to this podcast today. It's been a hard one to do. And um, um, hang in there, everybody. Let's get refocused. We've got important work ahead of us. I'm Michael Moore. This podcast is called Rumble. Thanks for listening to it. Please feel free to share it with with people and um we're four weeks now into this right it's our fourth week wow four weeks thank you everybody for being part of this with me 
I really enjoy talking to you, and, and I love your comments and your feedback and everything you're saying. It means a lot. All right. Um, thank you. And I'll talk to you in the next uh, next day or two. Uh, in fact, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna get on a plane and go to Iowa um, in the next day or so, and uh, lend a hand. So maybe I'll see you there if you're in Iowa. Um, I'll I'll post um, on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram where I'm gonna be. Come see me, um, and I'll I'll have another podcast out tomorrow or uh, Friday, and. Um, Maybe, maybe we'll record some podcasts there. That'd be kind of cool uh, in Iowa. Talk to the people. Um, I, was, <laughs> I was saying when we were watching the debate, you know, this is like the only time when the state of Iowa um, is more diverse than the stage that we're looking at <laughs> of this debate. Iowa was less white than, the, than that stage. But then as soon as I said that, I thought... I have this good friend, Tia, uh, so also producer, filmmaker, worked with her for many, many years. She said to me last year, she said, you know, when people say white people, I think I'm not white. I'm Jewish. If you're Jewish, you're not, you're not white. I mean, my skin color might be like yours a little bit, but um, I belong to a, a group of people, an ethnic group of people that... Uh, um, by and large, through the centuries, have had a fairly rough go of it. And um, she's a child of Holocaust survivors. And when I said that, watching the debate last night, I thought, Bernie, Bernie's Jewish. Why do they keep saying it's all white up there? Why don't we celebrate the fact that we've, we have a Jewish candidate for president? I don't think that's happened before, or at least not a major candidate that... This might be the first time. It's certainly, if he won, he'd be the first Jewish president. How cool of a country are we that we not only elect a black president when African Americans make up, I don't know, 12, 13% of the population, that we would elect a Jewish president? The Jews make up 2% of the population. <laughs> you know, for all of our faults and flaws, that's just how cool we are, too. I'm sure Bernie, if he's listening, he will not like hearing. He does not want to focus on this sort of thing. He's not... You know, but I just, you should talk about how, you know, I've got like 27 cousins. You don't have them because half of your family was wiped out in the Holocaust. Ah, it's a strange time. Thanks, everybody. I, I love the fact that I get to talk to you. And I love the fact that you're, that you're tuning in and listening to this podcast. And I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you hopefully tomorrow. Take care.